the alarm goes off tomorrow morning and you hit it and you realize you've awoken late. And now the scramble is on. Great. I don't have time for that workout that I keep saying that I'm going to do. And so you run down the stairs, you start throwing on some coffee, you do whatever you can to get things going. You have kids, you're fussing at them to get their stuff in place. Then you run to the bathroom, you flip on the shower, you get in there and you squeeze the shampoo bottle and you get that like plastic fart noise. The <laughs> and you realize, I don't have any shampoo left. And so you do what you can, you make yourself up the best you can, your hair kind of doesn't look the way you want it to, and it's kind of stinky, but whatever, the shampoo just isn't there, and you start to direct around your troops, they may be a roommate, it may be a spouse, it may be children, but you yell something like, get your backpacks together, I don't want to call it work, that you don't have your lunch, or you don't have your homework, because you didn't manage to take care of getting your stuff together. And so you're scrambling, 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 just trying to get the morning to go the way that you want, to get, want it to go. Uh, after a while, you eventually get to the carpool lane, you drop the kids at school, you start to head to work, and the traffic is just terrible. And you're honking your horn, you're very frustrated, I don't have time to sit here and wait for all of you people, get out of my way, I have to get to work. And eventually you get there and you get a little uh, reprimand from the boss. She's not very happy that you haven't bothered to show up on time. You move through your day. You make a presentation. You're a little scattered. You're a little frustrated. And the boss looks at you and they go, you know, you just don't have that spark that you usually have. Is something wrong today? You're like, yeah, there's a lot of things wrong today. Okay, leave me alone. About 3.30, 4 o'clock comes, and the text goes off on the phone. Dad, Mom, are you coming to a soccer game? I don't have a soccer game on my schedule, Billy. What are you talking about, soccer game? And the next thing you know, there's another emergency. And so off you run, you get into your car, but you find out, I don't have any gas in my car. And so you have to go handle that. You run to the game, you are just so done this day has been so annoying, and PTA Pete comes on over to talk to you about some volunteering opportunities that need to be taken care of at the school. Well, listen, we just need somebody to bake about 500 brownies or blah, 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 whatever. And finally, you just lose it. I don't have any patience left, Petey boy. Just bug off and ask me tomorrow. I am not going to talk about this, and if you don't be quiet, I'm kicking you into the goal, okay? Leave me alone. You feel a little bad about it, but Pete's kind of had it coming for a while, right? It's time to go home. Of course, you go and grab yourself a couple of hot and ready pizzas because you don't have the time, nor the energy, nor the finances to do anything else tonight. Nothing healthier is going to happen. You already missed your workout this morning. Who cares? And you sit on the couch. You gorge yourself on food that you know will make you not feel good by the time you wake up the next morning. And you think to yourself, that's why I don't have any clothes to fit. And then you finally drift off into a meaningless sleep while watching 10 minutes of Netflix, asleep on the couch in your pajamas, frustrated and tired. 
Uh, it is my hope for purposes of the sermon, but not for purposes of real life, that that feels like something you deal with from time to time. That you have those days where you just go from catastrophe to catastrophe to catastrophe. There's actually a little theme in that story. I don't know if you caught it. There is a phrase I used 12 times in that story. Did anybody catch what it was? I don't have. We think a lot about what we don't have. We don't have the money to be able to afford this. We don't have the time to go do that. We don't have the energy for one more event. We don't have any more patience to give. And that chorus just goes on and on and on in our heads. And if it stops for a minute, the advertisements on our radio or our television will pick it back up for it. You don't have clean pores or a toned stomach or a nice car or a retirement fund or a whole variety of other things that you are made sure, you are made aware of, that you do not have, that you should have. And then there's that social media piece that's right on top of it. You don't have the nice family photo that so-and-so has, or you don't have nice parties for your kids like they do, or your vacations, you don't have as good of vacations as they have, and you look at the pictures and you start to envy it, and all day long, there are a million people, chief amongst them yourself, that tells you about everything you don't have that you wish that you had. We've got a laundry list of the things that we don't have, and unfortunately, clean laundry is on that list, right? You've just got a constant list of what you need and is not there. And you know, some of this um, is the time and the culture and the place where we live. We do live in sort of a, a capitalist society that is based on consumption. And if you haven't realized it, the world that we live in, our economy is all functioning on how much you buy. If consumer spending is down, the economy is bad. And if consumer spending is up, the economy is good. And if that is bought on credit or if it's bought with cash, doesn't matter. That's how we define things. So you live in a world that literally forces you to constantly think about what you don't have. Because if for one minute you are satisfied with what you had, all of a sudden literally the wheels and gears of our society would come to a crippling stop. But it's not just that. We're not the only people who've had this experience of not having the things that we think we need. We're going to listen to a couple stories today of Jesus doing miraculous things. It's part of our series on miracles. And in these stories, I want you to see how the disciples feel stuck that they don't have the things they think they need. And how Jesus responds to the phrase, I don't have. And what it might tell us about our own hearts. Uh, We're going to go to Mark 6, if you want to follow along in a Bible. Mark 6, verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. This is Jesus and his disciples. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away. So they can go to the surrounding countryside, villages, and go buy themselves something to eat. 
But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They say unto him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fishes. Uh, this would be overwhelming for many of us. If you've ever planned a big dinner or like an event, Fran always has this feeling whenever we plan like our, our fall fest in the backyard. She's like, I'm just really afraid that we're going to run out of food. When you have so many people in front of you, in this case, 5,000 who are hungry, and Jesus looks at his disciples and goes, hey, could you guys feed them? And they immediately, understandably go, no, no, I don't have it, Jesus. Are you crazy? We do not have enough food. Not only that, we don't have the, enough money to buy that much food. And even if we did, there's nowhere to buy it. And we don't have the time to go get it. And even if we could, we don't have any way to get it all carried back here. All right, there are a variety of reasons why we cannot do this. We don't have what we need. And I'm sure they were a little ticked off. Really? You're going to ask us to feed 5,000 people? You know, when you want us to trope around into the mountainsides and, you know, talk to people and pray and all that kind of, we can do that. 5,000 people? This is not even a reasonable thing for you to ask of me. I don't have it in me to even try to handle this kind of task. And you understand why they feel stuck and what are we supposed to do about it. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is an interesting uh, thing. Without refrigeration in this place, I don't know if I want basketfuls of extra fish hanging around, but that's, I guess, kind of beside the point of the story. The idea here is that they had all that they possibly needed. They said, we don't have, and Jesus goes, no, you've got plenty. And he provided for them. Here's what's really interesting about Mark. Uh, we have this story and we're like, oh, what a great lesson learned. But Mark goes, no, not really. Because a few chapters later, we get this story. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. He said, I have compassion for these people. And the disciples are thinking, every time he says he has compassion for people, it's work for us. But we have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them uh, home hungry, they'll collapse on the way. Because some of them have come a long distance. His disciple answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Um, this story is fascinating to get it a second time. And what I love about getting this kind of a story a second time is it shows me I am not alone in my cyclical problems. Have you ever had a household issue, maybe with roommates, maybe with uh, a spouse, maybe with kids, whoever you live with, that just seems to raise its head over and over again? You lost your keys again? You forgot your backpack 
Again? You left the front door unlocked? Again? Right? Like, it's one of these things that yeah, it happens, and uh, there's a little small, friendly conversation about it, and then it happens a second time, and you go, really? We're going to do this again? And by the seventh time it happens, you have your hands around each other's throats? Just stop it! This is a avoidable chaos. Stop forgetting your keys. And you're just at each other's throat. This uh, happens to the disciples. Only theirs is feeding thousands of people. Right? They're like, Jesus, why are we doing this again? Why are we in this place one more time with the same problem? And it shows us just how human they are, right? They're just in the same spot they have been in again. And the previous feeding and the miracles and the basketfuls was not enough to make them feel any less worried when this pops up a second time. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went off to the region of Dalmanutha. It's really easy to read these stories, and we could just do a great lesson about how God provides for us. And I can simply say, when you have a time in your life where you feel like you don't have what you need, trust God, he'll provide for you. Now that's a really good lesson. But it's not Mark's lesson. Because the story doesn't quite stop here for Mark. Not only does he do the double 5,000 and 4,000, which feels so redundant, some scholars think he just made a mistake and he put the story in twice. Right? Like they're just kind of confused why there's two of these. But there's then a capper on this that we probably don't talk about quite enough. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring some bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another. Is this because we don't have any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the phone, The five loaves for the 5,000. How many baskets did you pick up? Twelve, they said. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So here's what's happening here. Let's take a minute to break this down. Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and the Pharisees walk up to him and they go, "Uh, listen, We know you're claiming to be the Son of God and all, but we're just going to need a little evidence of this. And Jesus goes, I just fed 4,000 people with a couple pieces of bread. They're like, well, I know, but we can never be too sure of what's going on here. And he goes, you know what? Fooey! Leave! Leave me alone! I'm not going to do anything for you people. I'm not a dancing monkey. Okay, you think 
that you can just ask me to do stuff and I'll do it on command? No, thank you. I've already fed these people. You've already heard my teachings. You've got more than enough information. Your skepticism, your, your feelings of being so stuck on who I am is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. And when that conversation is over, he then gets in the boat with the disciples and he's still worked up, right? Jesus is frustrated. Jesus goes, you know what? You guys got to be careful. Be careful of the leaven of the feast of the Pharisees and the um, and Herod. Now, what he means by leaven here, if you've ever done any baking or cooking, if you have leaven, right, and it creeps into a dough, it just it spreads. It's like a cancer. It's a it just keeps moving. Uh, Tori's nodding her head. She breaks bread all the time. If you need to know about leaven, you got to be careful with leaven, or it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And Jesus having this deep spiritual thought. He goes, guys, you've got to be careful. These guys are like leaven, and that kind of doubt and that kind of skepticism will eat you alive. And the disciples go, oh, he's talking about bread again. I'm hungry. I like bread. Right? Like, they're just, they're just, their brains are just stuck, you know, donuts. Like, this is the only thing that they can think about. And Jesus goes, oh, guys, haven't I done enough for you physically that we can get over this, are we going to eat tomorrow or not stuff and start getting to deep spiritual stuff? Is there a point at which you will have had dinner enough days in a row to which worrying about dinner ceases to be something in your brain and instead you think about kingdom things? And the answer is at least not today. Because they're still there going, he's saying leaven, that means bread. I'm hungry, let's talk about bread. And they're just, they're still not there. They're still focused on what they don't have. How many times is Jesus going to have to feed thousands of people before they realize, oh, you know what I don't have really doesn't need to be the focus of my day. The big point of all this, you don't have to be defined by what you don't have. Right? That's the only thing you don't have. You don't have to be focused on what you don't have. And it's one thing to be practical. Like, it's one thing to go, hey, listen, you're worried about this, and Jesus doesn't want you to be worried. He wants you to calm down. He wants you to not live in anxiety. That is true. But there is something far deeper and scarier than that when we focus on what we don't have, and that is the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. It is this deep concern so much with the mundane little things of life with our bank accounts and how much shampoo is in the bottle and whether our kids have their homework and all that stuff, that God literally can't talk to you because you're too preoccupied with other stuff. And this is the true miracle here. Jesus is saying, I'll care for you so well that your brain can go a little higher on the Maslow's chart of needs than whether or not you'll have food in your stomach. You gotta trust me for that so we can go beyond that. So we can go to other places. Uh, I saw this chart online. I know you will read it and not listen to the next few things I say. But just this idea of when we think about the world as scarcity and what we don't have. And when we think about the world in abundance and what we do have. This is a workplace uh, chart about how you, work, how you work in a workplace where you think that there's only so much praise or so much success in a workplace. And how you act when you think, no, there's plenty of success for all of us to go around and to be shared. You are encouraged daily to think about how scarce good things are. 
And if you are not careful, it will turn you into a vengeful, spiteful, mean little person who will constantly bite every person who you think is a threat to what you don't have. And that spreads like leaven. It spreads like cancer. And if the story is just, hey, God will take care of you, yeah, he will. But that needs to affect your heart and needs to affect your soul. Because if you don't start to learn from that, that I can trust God for what I need, then you just, you just become mean. Uh, you know, like sometimes we'll be, you'll be, uh, have an opportunity to be around someone who's really struggled. Maybe you get a, t- a chance when you're downtown that you'll see somebody who's homeless or you'll see a fight between two homeless people. And it is just heartbreaking because their experience of the world is that I have got to fight for every little thing I have and I've got to make sure I don't step back one, one step. And I'm not condemning that. That's a rough experience they've had. But if we are not careful, we will become just like that. And we will fight every person around us and look at them. And what becomes is we start to look at God and we treat him like he's a liar. He says, come to me, my burden is light. And we go, well, pff, not so sure about that. Like the Pharisees, we go, can you do anything for me, God? He goes, dude, I just fed 4,000 people. Well, yeah, but can you do anything else? This, can you do, what have you done for me lately? Attitude to our spirituality. I mean, I ate yesterday, God, but it doesn't mean I'll eat today. I hope you show up again. He goes, how many times have I got to do this for you before you listen? How often, as a parent, do I have to take care of you before you stop doubting my goodness to take care of you? But we live in that place if we're honest. How many times have you had a rough time with your budget and you barely made it through, but you made it through. And then the next month you look at the budget and you're like, why am I here again, God? Well, because I allowed you to survive the last month. (laughs) That's his answer, right? But we do it. We constantly forget the blessings and the good thing that has come before. If we are not careful... The thinking of the Pharisees, that doubt and that cynicism takes over our hearts and there's not too much of a place for us to go from there. Uh, It's my hope today that the practicality of this lesson, yeah, lean on God and depend on God. But more than anything, just watch your heart. Because otherwise you will be so obsessed by what you don't have that you're just not going to see the beautiful thing God wants you to have. This is just like a mindset thing. When you focus on what you lack instead of what is there for you, you become a bitter and cold and angry person. And Jesus says, this is dangerous. He fed 9,000 people in the book of Mark in order to get to this point. Don't let yourself be overcome by cynicism and anxiety. Because if you do, it will eat your lunch. Quite literally. Mm, Donut. You're like, it's just you got to watch out for it. Uh, it is my prayer today that we, would, um, that we would trust God for the things that we don't have and thankfully steward what we do. We didn't even get into this. But Jesus always starts at solving their problems with their resources. Right? How are we going to feed them? Well, how many fish do you have? We've talked about this before at this church. What God is saying is whatever your little church has got, Give that and then let me show you how we can make that work. 
right? Let's MacGyver this guy into what it needs to be. I mean, that'd be the best example. End of my story. Anyways, <laughs> my prayer is that you would trust God for what you don't have, that you'll thankfully steward what you do, and that you would beware lest you'll lose it all because you cannot see the forest for the trees. We're going to have a song here now of kind of uh, reflection, I think. I didn't even look at the word of worship. Ray's going to play a little bit. Um, Take time to think about this sermon. Pray about it. Consider what God might want for you to do this week with this this lesson. But also spend some time writing your questions, writing your prayer requests. I'll get up and do the Q&A after the song, and we'll go from there. All right. I'm going to think I've got this. Um, uh, This individual agrees that we should trust God to um, provide and be thankful for what we have. Where does our personality traits come in? Uh, For example, some people tend to be more optimistic or more pessimistic, anxious or relaxed, etc. What does uh, being prepared or realistic cross over into uh, being untrusting or ungrateful? All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Yes, we do have natural inclinations towards certain things. Some of us are more optimistic and some of us are more pessimistic. Some are more anxious and some are not. Um, I'm going to say what I think here, and I'm sure you can correct me if I am wrong. I think I may be, but uh, I'm going to say what I think. I think there are certain things, though, that Scripture does call us to. So it talks about how the Holy Spirit can provide a peace that passes understanding. And I do not want to throw out that Bible verse just to go, well, except for me. I was designed anxious, and so peace that passes understanding is not an option for me. I just think that's like a rejection of the gospel to some degree. Like, no, that is there for you. In fact, it is a greater gift for you than it is, you know, if you're a surfer dude, it's like, hey, man, whatever, whatever things happen. Like, that guy gets peace, but he doesn't really need it, Right. Some of us, though, we desperately need the good news that your anxiety doesn't need to be there. That your feeling that if I don't fix it, it's not going to get fixed, that that is just a way for you to hold on to your pride. And I'm speaking to myself right now as much as anybody. I am the worst. As we've gone through this emotionally healthy spirituality stuff, one of the things I've acknowledged to myself is for a whole variety of reasons, I think that if Caleb doesn't make sure things are okay, then things aren't going to be okay. And that really does make me the God of my own universe when I say that. And it's something I gotta let go of. Okay, this is just me. It's not a godly thing to be like, no, I just gotta grab cold, colder, tighter. Uh, I think God wants to relieve us of that. And so I do think there is something inherently godly and Christ-like about saying, God will take care of it. You know, like it has been paid. This will be done. This I, I need not worry. Um, you know, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about what you'll wear. He goes, the pagans worry about this stuff. People who don't understand the God of the universe, they go around frustrated about their bank accounts and the food on their table and if they're going to make their mortgage or not. He says, not, not believers, because they know that if God takes care of um, birds and flowers, he'll take care of you. And the fact that I hear that and I go, well, we need to put some limiters on that, Jesus, shows how much my Americanness has creeped into my brain over and above my Christianness. And I, I don't know, I guess we're talking about that. We just have to be, we're just being fed a narrative. 
that you've got to take care of yourself or you'll be stuck. And God goes, what am I here for? <laughs> you know? Um, I said it a couple weeks ago. To me, it's just like the kids. Man, it hurts my heart when the kids are like, well, Dad, I had to get myself lunch because oh, no, you're not going to take care of it. And it's like, what? You little brat. I take care of you all the time. Why would you treat me that way? Why would you act like I don't care about you? But we do that to God all the time. i got to have an emergency plan because we know God can't be trusted with that stuff. And you go, what? Excuse me? I was taking care of you long before you were able to think. Okay? Before you existed, I was taking care of you. So just chill out. That is not the way I planned on answering that question. But nonetheless. Um, so, but to me, so this sermon a lot was about your heart and not your head. So what I hear you talking about to me is head stuff. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make sure I've got a good plan in place. Like the school space that we're moving to. We're working on that right now. Let's get a good plan in place and have a plan. But there has to be a moment, I think, for a Christian where we go, I've done as much up here as I can. And I'm not going to let the anxiety of here creep into anxiety here. Because that moment when I can't sleep at night anymore because I'm nervous about it, that's the point at which the poison and the leaven has spread Mm -hmm. down into my heart. Does that make sense? Yeah.